0: We've been continuing our study in the book of Acts and to see now Paul's missionary journey is uh, quite exciting. Um, To be able to to see the the type of adventures that God led these men on who were just submitted to the will of God, men who were just open to what God God wanted to do in their life. I have heard said before that the world has yet to see what God can do with a person who is completely submitted to the Lord. Dial Moody once heard that preached and D.L. Moody went on to be one of the greatest evangelists this world has seen. But even D.L. Moody was a man with errors and flaws. One of uh, the, founding, the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, I once went to a, a men's conference that he spoke at, and I heard him say this quote, and the men were excited when he said this. They're like, yeah, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man totally submitted to him and there was this excitement and then Chuck Smith stood before all of us and said I have to confess to you that I am not this man
1: and there was a silence
0: among the crowd and this deep whoa because you think in your mind man like well a guy like the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel surely he's someone close to being fully submitted and we realized that we're human, but that God still uses these vessels, these instruments. That God calls us to be holy, submitted unto Him, to deny sin, to deny ourselves. And yet He still uses broken vessels. You see, because He doesn't want man to get the glory. You see, if we found out that the formula was that when we see a man being used by God, that it it equates to the fact that he's just simply holy, then we look at the man of, oh, that's how he did it. He did what is righteous and what is good, and God used him greatly. And then on the reverse, when we look so much at ourselves in condemnation, we are again just staring at man, but God wants us to be looking and focused on him, not his instrument. It would be foolish for us to come out of a a, a procedure. uh, Let's say you go to see the dentist, or let's say you have a surgical operation when for your health. And it'd be foolish for us to, at the end of that, Surgery. When we come out to turn to the scalpel or the thermometer or whatever it is that the doctor uses and say thank you to the scalpel, the doctor would be like, why is he talking to an instrument, first of all? But usually we thank the person who's the operator, uh, not the vessel, not the instrument. And in that same manner, God wants us to be thankful to him and to glorify him not the people, not the men and the women that he uses. I bring this up because Paul and Barnabas, uh, on their missionary trip, they're about to experience some of the greatest uh, uses of being used by God and the Spirit. And it's at this moment when they could have some of the greatest temptation brought upon their lives. And before I dive too much into my... Intro on what we're about to read. Why don't we actually read it? So in Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers. To abuse and stone them, they became aware of it, and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So now we have Paul and Barnabas, these two friends, these two companions. They were initially they were preaching to some of the major cities there, some of those cities that were under the Roman government. But now they are beginning to journey to a more rural area of the regions that they're going to. This was the wild east of the time. We hear the wild west, but this is more of the the wild east where there's not so much government control here. Now because they're going out to these places, there's actually danger. You have a lot of pagan and Gentile culture that is existing here that they are entering into, a lot of Greek mythology. And so now they're journeying to this place to go give the Gentiles the gospel. But as was their custom, they first go to the Jews. They first go to the church. And they preach to them. And as they were preaching to the Jews there and the Gentiles there was certain Jews that became jealous of this teaching because many people began to believe on Jesus. Now, these Jews that were jealous of Paul and Barnabas were jealous because they were losing what they felt to be was their place of authority, their seat of authority, their power. And they were losing it from a long stance of always the priests being the mediator between God and man. In the Old Testament, you had the priests who would present sacrifices to God for the people. And so the people would go to the priests for guidance, for counsel, for sacrifice. And the Jewish leaders at the time were were practicing this. But they then took it upon themselves of thinking that we are... So great, because we lead these people to God. And then when Jesus came and said, look, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. We no longer are, are going to need sacrifices. We can worship God now in spirit and in truth. Suddenly the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish religious leaders were jealous of like, wait, 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 he's taking our job. He's taking our place. He's taking our position of authority over the people. And the people are no longer looking to us as mediator between God and man. And this is that same jealousy that we see here with the Jews towards Paul and Barnabas. So they poison the minds of the people, of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. And that idea of poisoning people's minds when somebody gives you poison, they usually don't tell you that it's poison. They'll usually put it in your coffee cup and then give it to you, right, in the movies. And then you do the, sw- the swap of like, here's, I swapped the coffee cups. But they usually don't know. And that idea of, of poisoning their minds is that these people actually don't even realize that these Jewish people are deceiving them. They're, they're telling rumors and, and false things about what the Jews were doing, about what Paul and Barnabas were doing. And I noticed, though, this is an attack. Whenever you see a work of God, the Holy Spirit moving, many times in the Bible we see right after that, that work of God, there's an attack of the enemy. There's a move of the enemy to stop the work of God that is going on. And so as Paul and Barnabas are experiencing now this attack, do they get up and run? At this point, no, they don't. Now there would be times when Paul was in threat of his life, his life was in danger, and they would put him in a basket and lower him down the side of a city so he could escape. But In this case, the spirit had led them to stand firm because it says that they stayed with the disciples for a long time, right there in verse three. Therefore, they stayed there a long time and not just staying there and being covert, but they were speaking boldly in the the name of Jesus, who was bearing witness. Again, and look at verse three, who was bearing witness, to the word of his grace. Meaning that there was testimony of the word. And what is this word? This word is of his grace. It's referring to the gospel. And then right after that, it says granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, what I love is we see the power of God happening here. Healings, people being healed from demon possession, being healed from physical ailments. All these things are are, are taking place. And this is the same God that we serve today who's still able to do this, who is still doing this. And I love how we see this pattern that the signs and the wonders, they were right there following the word of his grace. You see, we don't focus on the signs and the wonders by themselves. But it's that the word would go out. They were there to actually prove that the word was real, that God, that Jesus, the living word is that testimony that people can receive into their lives. Remember when Jesus healed the the lame man and the Pharisees were there. And they were w- wondering what Jesus was going to do with this man who was lame. And Jesus saw this man who was lame and said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And they were all upset. They're like, man, how, who, who's this guy who can forgive sins? Nobody can forgive sins but God. And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking... He said, what, what's harder to say? Your, your sins are forgiven you or, or get up and walk? And he said, but that you might know that the man you're speaking with is the son of God. I tell you, arise and walk. And the man got up and he began to walk. Now, the reason why, there was many reasons why he healed the man for the man's salvation, for the man to be well again. But one of those reasons being was so that they could see not only is Jesus just saying words, but those words have the power of God behind it. And in the same manner, the signs here are right there with the word of God. It says in verse four, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it, fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Now, they're experiencing this this persecution in verse 5. This violence. They wanted to kill them. This is the hatred that the religious leaders had put in these Gentiles. So now the Lord had led them at this time to flee, to go, to move on. And I think it was because God knew, okay, these people heard, heard the word. And he knew that Paul and Barnabas were now to journey on to onto the next place. Remember in the, la- the end of chapter 13, it said that whenever they would go places and that people would reject the gospel, that they were simply to shake the dust from their feet and just keep going on. And that happens in our lives. Sometimes people are going to reject the gospel. And that's not for us to, to be personally attacked. To feel like, oh, man, they've rejected me. It's not about us. And then sometimes in speaking with with people who we desire to bring close to the Lord, sometimes in our methods, we we force people to say things that they don't mean, to try to make a commitment that they're not really ready to, to commit to. We want to let people understand exactly what it is that, that we believe, what a relationship with God is, what it means to repent, to turn from sin, and to commit yourself to God. There's been times when I, I've been led and I, I had the desire to lead someone into the sinner's prayer. And I could say, hey, you know what, um, do you want to receive God? And they're, they're like, yeah, I I do but I have to make sure that they understand that that means, okay, well, that means you're going to let go of, of your sin life, ask God to help you to, to let it go to and be submitted to him. And I have to make sure that they understand that that's what the sinner's prayer that we usually lead, lead people in is. Because sometimes people, out of respect, they'll just say, yeah, like, you know what, like, uh, let's pray. And then they follow the words that you say but you have to make sure that they understand what exactly it is that they're committing to, that they understand that, that it's not just words. And if they say, you know what? And you could give them the option too. You could say, you know what? If if you don't want to say, if you're not going to commit and turn away from your sin, well, can I pray with you? Because then you could still pray with them and you could pray over them that the Holy Spirit would draw them in by love, by grace. You know, it's not always, uh, we're not always going to be that that fisherman who catches the fish. Sometimes we're more like the farmer who plants seeds. And we plant the seed in the heart of a person. And you're planting seeds, and those seeds, they they take root and they grow. And then somebody else comes along and then, they water that seed and they pour more of the love of God into a person's life and that seed is watered and then it grows. That belief, that faith begins to grow. And then finally, somebody else is going to come, that person who's going to pick the fruit right off of that person and they're just going to walk by one day, maybe, perhaps, and say, hey, do you want to receive Jesus? And that person was already ready because they've already had you who planted the seed, somebody else who watered. And then they fully dedicate. And that's what we're to be. We're not always going to see people in the, the streets or in our workplace just say, okay, that's it. I want to commit. And praise the Lord if you should. Start praying and asking God, God, why don't you just send me the, the ones who are ready? Send me the easy ones so I don't have to, to struggle and to be fearful, but just send me someone who's just ready at that that point in their life and just be open to however God wants to use you as a someone who's planting seeds as someone who's watering or someone who's actually getting to lead someone into a relationship with Christ this is what Paul and Barnabas were doing they're, they're doing ministry they're doing missions work they're growing they're, they're moving forward and everywhere they went As it said in verse seven, they were preaching the gospel. And in verse eight, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking and Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Let's pause there for a moment. This man from Lystra, a cripple, has been crippled his whole life. And he's there sitting. He hasn't known what it's like to run, to to go places and to be somebody who's independent. He's probably been there begging for, for people to help him at times, alone. He was a cripple from his mother's womb. And as Paul is there now in Lystra, the man begins to hear Paul speaking. And the Holy Spirit begins to do work. Faith is born. Do you guys know how people have faith grow? Where it comes from? Faith? The Bible teaches us that faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. The Bible also says, how will people know unless someone is sent to them? How will people know unless somebody is preaching to them unless someone is sent. Paul was sent and Paul now is speaking the word. And because he is speaking the word, then faith is planted in this man's heart. And we see a few things about Paul and the spiritual gifts that God has given him here. We see Paul speaking the word. That's the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is, it's, Forth telling as well as foretelling. Prophecy many times is simply proclaiming the truths of God. That's the, the fourth telling. And then there's also foretelling, which is proclaiming a truth that will come in the future. But Paul here is exercising the gift of prophecy. It says that he observed this man intently. This is the gift of discernment. It says that he saw that this man had faith to be healed. That's discernment. And now the next thing, which is pretty insane for any person to say to somebody who's been crippled their whole life, stand up straight on your feet. Now, if I was to say that to someone who is lying on the floor crippled, I'd be pretty scared. Because if they didn't get up and begin to walk, I would feel pretty, like, mean. So Paul here, what we see him exercising is a great strength of faith, the spiritual gift of faith, where Paul simply told the man, get up and, and walk. Now, as Paul is saying this, what I also recognize is that God is not, a cookie cutter God. He doesn't always work in the same formula and the same method. I didn't see Paul say, in the name of Jesus Christ. He simply just told him, get up and stand on your feet. But because the Holy Spirit was living through Paul, the guy gets up and leaps. And I love how you don't have to then rely on, what was the exact prayer that I prayed over, so-and-so, I want to do that prayer again for this person. Or what was the feeling? Is there the the tingle that I feel? And that's when I know that it's working. No, it's faith. And faith goes beyond seeing. It goes beyond sight, beyond what we feel at times. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and don't see. How much more blessed are they? And so Paul here is exercising that great gift of faith where he's telling him, stand up straight on your feet. And the man, he leaps up and walks. So this is the miracle now being done. And it's not being done simply so that this man could get a new pair of legs, but it's being done for the man's soul. That this man would come to that relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. How sad would it be if people were given a blessed life, but then they forgot about God? It'd be vanity, it'd be vain. Now look at verse 11. It says, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garland to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. So, there's this fascination that these people had. They're under Roman and Greek mythology. They truly believed these folklores. And they they practiced it. They had temples to their gods. And so when they see Paul and Barnabas now performing miracles... They're thinking, man, this is Zeus and Hermes. It's kind of interesting when you study Greek mythology and Greek culture about Zeus and Hermes. You see, the people believed that Zeus and Hermes had actually visited them years before this, and that when they visited them, that they came in disguise that they came as an elderly couple. And when they, they came to them, nobody knew it was them, so people treated them harshly. And nobody was inviting them into their home. So Zeus and Hermes finally found this one couple that allowed them to come in, and they gave them a place to stay, room and board. And then Zeus and Hermes revealed themselves to this couple, they told them, hey, we're the gods. And we're, because everyone treated us so poorly, we're going to wipe everyone out. But you guys, if you flee to the mountains, you'll be safe. And then so Zeus and Hermes wiped out that whole village that they had visited. And they wiped them out with a flood. Now, this flood that happened, that uh, was probably a literal flood, and then they created this Greek mythology to go along with it. But now as the people here are seeing Paul and Barnabas they're saying this is Zeus and Hermes and they're believing that they're actually being visited again by Zeus and Hermes so in order that they are not going to get wiped out they're like bring the bull we're going to cut it up we're going to have a barbecue we're going to celebrate because the are the gods are with us again and so this is now their mentality how pagan they were. They're so far. So it says now, in verse 14, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preached to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Now, what we see here is this this priest coming to them giving them the the sacrifice there is this fasci- fascination that man has that man has of some form of savior we look towards a savior just it's in our nature even if it's the there was people who before Jesus' time, would write out these folklores in Egyptian folklore about these gods. And many times in these other pagan cultures, they had these belief systems that spoke of of a Messiah coming to them, someone to save them. And a lot of times you see in those cultures sacrifice taking place. we realize that man has a fascination with reconnecting with God, with being made right before God, that there's sacrifice, that there would be these shamans or, or men who were used as mediators between God and man. Even as we read here, there is this priest of Zeus. Now, today, in today's culture, we don't really have people standing in hilltops and sacrificing cows anymore. We don't have those types of idols. Our idols are cultural, natural idols. Our idols are movie stars and celebrities and sports stars and money. Our idols our. Pursuits. They are money and success, fame, glamour, success. And this is what we chase after glory. Why do we marvel at these things when we have Jesus? who is literally going to be the most beautiful and is the most beautiful thing that we can ever experience. That the greatest of experiences here on this earth are are nothing in comparison to that relationship with him. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they're they're realizing what is happening, and this is what I love about Paul and Barnabas, though. At a time when they could have simply been like, hey, you know what? God did a mighty work through us. We could take some of the, you know, the chicken and the cows that they cooked for us. We we can indulge a little bit in ourselves. And we'll explain later, you know, like, hey, you know, you need to worship Jesus. But no, they tore their clothes. They're saying this is blasphemy. They didn't want to touch any of God's glory. They wanted to stay far from it. And that goes back, again, to what we were talking about at the beginning of how they're idolizing now man. They're idolizing the the instrument that God is using. And so what Paul begins to do in his preaching to them as he's tearing his clothes and saying, no, this is wrong, he begins to give them the gospel. He says, look, the heavens... This God who made all things—he made the heavens, the earth, the sea. By saying that, what he's re- showing them is look like creation screams that there is a God. The stars, our galaxy—the way nature works—it screams that there is a God. There's a design and order that's beautiful. And he wants them to to recognize and notice this. And he also wants them to understand that there's been seasons that God has allowed humankind to go through where he has given them free will to choose. He said in verse 16, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. You see, God gave us free will. Now, we continue in verse 17 of Paul's preaching. He says, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. You see, this is the foolishness of man. That in one moment, they're going to be praising Paul and Barnabas, thanking them for for visiting them. But let's see what happens in the next moment. Look at verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city Supposing him to be dead. So in one moment, these people are praising and celebrating Paul and Barnabas. And then in the next moment, in their confusion of like, wait, we thought these guys were gods. And now they're telling us that they're not. And then these Jews come and say, hey, these guys are are evil and they're deceiving us. Let's kill them. Let's stone them. And that's how fickle the multitudes can be at times. We see that happening in our our world today, where one moment someone is loved by people, and then the next moment the whole world turns on them because they posted something crazy (laughs) on social media or something. And the world can be a, a fickle world, That's so judgmental towards people. And so just like that, Paul went from being loved to being hated, to being stoned to death. Now it says in verse 20, However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Okay, so this is what happens. Paul is killed, he's stoned, and the disciples, they gather around him, and it simply says he rose up and went into the city. There is a resurrection that happens here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul speaking in third person, he says that uh, you know, some 14 years ago, There was a man who, whether in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure of, but he was taken to the third heaven. And in there, he saw things that were so great and so glorious that it would be sin for him to try to utter and explain what he saw. Now, Paul was referring to himself. But what happened was that he was stoned to death Dragged outside and then God gave him a vision of the heavenly realm. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what our Bible teaches us. When we leave this bag of meat that we're confined to, we get to be with Jesus. And that's what Paul experienced, but because God was not done with the work that Paul was doing, because he had a call in Paul's life, at this time, Paul was invincible. He couldn't be killed by this stoning. And the crazy thing is, once he gets killed by this crowd of people, gets taken outside the city, is resurrected, his first thing he wants to do, he's like, we're gonna go back into the city. And the people are like, what? (laughs) you want to go back where we just got killed, where you got killed? And then the next following day, him and Barnabas went to Derby. And I'm sure Barnabas had to go through some crazy emotional experiences with that whole thing. He's there with Paul, and they take him away, and they stone him. And then to see his friend come back to life, I would have been on an emotional roller coaster if it was my friend. So they go back now to Derby, and it says in verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now I have underlined in my Bible Between verses 19 and verses 22, the word disciples comes up three times. I'm realizing that the early church was big on discipleship, so so should we be. Paul was at a point in his life discipled by Barnabas. Barnabas came alongside Paul and befriended him, brought him to the other disciples And then Paul ended up growing into this leader of the church. So we need to have people in our life who are going to be like Barnabas. Who we can also be like Barnabas too. Someone who we come alongside with, who's our peer, who we can share with and and grow alongside of each other with. But Paul also had Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple. And Paul would pour into Timothy. And we need to have someone in our life who can pour into us because we want to grow. If all we do is hang around the same experience level, then we don't get to get that great experience from those who have gone before us. And likewise, we should also be pouring into those who are young in the Lord, those who need to be trained up and discipled, now, discipleship, it's not always very formal. Discipleship isn't always, okay, we're going to meet here at this time and we're going to go through this book. Sometimes discipleship is simply asking somebody, hey, do you want to come get some coffee? you want to go and just come with us? We're going to go do some ministry and we just want you to tag along. See, ministry there is just Simply loving on people. Now, one thing that these disciples that Paul and Barnabas wanted to really encourage the believers in, it wasn't about how good their life was going to be now that they were Christian. They poured into them this truth that through many tribulations, they must enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's not always a good sales point for a preacher to convince people, non-believers, that through many tribulations, they would enter the kingdom of God. But because there needs to be truth that is preached, this truth must be told that as a believer in the lord we are going to face tribulation we're going to face trials you would be hurting someone if you told them that as a as a christian all of a sudden everything works out for you That's far from the truth sometimes it's harder to to, to be a christian in this in this world but i'll tell you what it's harder without God. There's a peace that God brings into your life when you're submitted to him that nothing in this world can give us. There is C.S. Lewis said in, in his writings that if I find that everything in this world does not satisfy me, then I will conclude that I must be made for another world. And that's correct. Jesus is what is going to give us that fulfillment, that purpose-filled life, that contentment. Nothing in this world will give us that, that eternal fulfillment, eternal contentment. And this is what they were preaching. In verse 23, it says So, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, I do notice that there's prayer and fasting going on, especially when they're choosing leaders to go lead these churches. Here they're praying and fasting for wisdom that God would give them in deciding who these leaders of the church would be. And when they prayed and fasted, they commended them to the Lord, said. Now in verse 24, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So this is now them coming towards the end of their missions trip. And I'm reminded of the grace of God that was in their life. It says in verse 27, now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles so that they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Again, we see that word disciple. Reminding us that discipleship is very important. As I look at the story of Paul being stoned to death, And I realized how fickle that the crowd was with him. Well, one moment, the crowd loved Paul. They wanted to make him their God. And in the next, that they were stoning him. I'm reminded of the judgment of Pontius Pilate. Remember how the crowds, a week before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey And the crowds came to him singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would wave their palm branches and lay the palm branches out before Jesus on the donkey. And Jesus on his donkey would ride into Jerusalem. The crowd loved him. They wanted him to be their king. Not longer than a, a week later, that same crowd, there before Pontius Pilate, In an illegal trial, Jesus was there on the stand. Pontius Pilate, wanting to let Jesus go free, but also fearful of the Roman leaders and the Jewish mob, he brought out this bowl of water before him, and he washed his hands and symbolically said, look, uh, my blood is, is free from this man, Jesus You guys do what you want with him. And they shouted out to Pontius Pilate, his blood be upon us and our children. And I don't think they really knew what they were saying. I don't think they realized that when they said that, that them and their generations of children after them, what they would go through by Roman government, by Nazis, the persecution that would come upon the Jewish people throughout our, our whole generations. Now, when Pontius Pilate was speaking with Jesus, he told him, don't, don't you realize that I have the power to kill you? And Jesus said, look, you don't have any power over me because my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pontius Pilate went out and said, what will you do with the man Jesus? And that question, though it was for Pontius Pilate, by him answering what he was going to do, he was really condemning himself. But that's the same question that we all have here. What will we do with the man called Jesus? Will we be like Paul and Barnabas who are going out and being used mightily by God? Or will we deny him as the crowds who were fickle did? I pray in those moments for us as believers who are saved who have already made the, the choice that we are going to serve God and serve Jesus. I pray that in those moments when we have those small choices to make or big choices in our life of either serving ourselves or letting God do his work in us and have his way with us. I pray that we would learn to be a disciple of Christ. I pray that we would learn to submit to him, to be filled with his grace, with his love, with his peace. That you can go out this week and share the name of Jesus with someone. And in doing so, just see what God might do with the person submitted to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for your mercy. We pray and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us anew, Lord God. Refresh us in your spirit. For us who have strayed from devotional life with you, Lord God, stirred up in our hearts to return to it. For those who have turn to self-seeking, Lord God, and to things that are, are vanity, Lord God, and making ourselves God. Forgive us, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would give you all the glory in our lives, that we'd be, Lord God, fishers of men, disciples of Christ, used greatly by you. Revive us, Lord God, May we live a life, Lord, that is in such a relationship, Father, that we're just blown away by your beauty every day. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this day. I pray you'd fill us this week. Keep us safe. And in Jesus' name, amen. We'll have one more song, and then you guys will be dismissed.
1: Bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name sing like Flip your own name yes i'll worship your own name yes i'll worship your